The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, to episode 25 of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. You've just joined us for the number 25. John Harvey successfully ran a Marlboro Holden dealer team Commodore for many years under that number 25. And uh, love watching that thing go around. Completely off topic for what we're doing tonight. Certainly was uh, great racing back then. Napa, of course, have got their famous Motorsport Academy. Check that out at napaautoparts.com.au forward slash academy. Check out all of the fitness regimes, all of the media strategies, social media strategies. Grant Rowley has got a fantastic column there as well for getting uh, sponsorship proposals right and dealing with media and certainly getting many other things. Fitness is very, very important for the modern race car driver on the move. And it's a free service to help you improve your grassroots racing. I'm Darren Smith and my partner in crime for 25 episodes now. We both can't believe they keep letting us do it. It is renewal time, so let's uh, step right up and I'm going to lean on Gaz tonight. Welcome, Gary O'Brien. Thanks, Daz. Good evening, everyone. It's interesting how you talk about numbers. You know, you, you'll go to a pub for dinner and you'll get a, allocated a number and you're always associated with someone that's racing and uh, we do it for everything else we do as well, don't we? Well, it is one of those things, you know, particularly in Australia, if you, you know, if you get a number 17, you're waiting for Dick Johnson to be delivered, aren't you? Or five or a, for Brocky. For or a, a 43 for a Moffat or, or, a, or a 16 for Darren Smith and Garth Tander. <laughs> I've never had a 16. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm associated with Alan Grice ahead of you. Sorry, yeah, mate. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll allow that. I'll certainly allow that. <laughs> Yes, we've got a, an interesting guest tonight. I guess uh, we're looking a little bit in, into ourselves a little bit here. A, a sponsor of our podcast is uh, is joining us and uh, a very, very interesting aspect of motorsport. We haven't spoken to any suppliers before. That's where we're heading. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one because uh, this particular person who runs the, the particular supplies that he sends us or sends to the race teams, had to deal with COVID, had to deal with lockdown, had to deal with uh, multiple race meetings on the one weekend. And what better way to find out how it all happened than actually speak to the man? Certainly. We welcome Mark Tierney. Wow, what a wind up. Thanks for having me, Mark Tierney here. And uh, it's 25 episodes in, I'm finally on. But thanks for having me, guys. The Daz and Gaz Show. Oh, it's fantastic to have you, Mark. We thought we'd like, wait for that quarter century so you can sort of almost half hold your bat up in the air, but not quite half a century. But uh, we'll see how we go. We've already spoken. Gaz and I have just spoken about renewal of contracts and, uh, you know, yeah, we're we, at that time. We like to bring the cream in right at the end just to help uh, shore up the budget for next year. Hey, it's, a, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honour and it's a, it's a wonderful podcast because it's just so insightful and I had no idea how much I'd learned from people that I, that I vaguely knew. But... Um, 
so much information that you're sharing with everyone. And it's uh, congratulations on such a solid pod- podcast in today's day and age where we're so much time on the cars and I'm driving to Phillip Island or Winton or Sandown. I'm always um, plugging into one of your podcasts. They're awesome. Fantastic. Great to see. And uh, it's always nice to have on the 25th episode, Gaz, one of our sponsors as well, which is uh, <laughs> yeah, the company that Mark heads up at, at Racefields. Let's put Racefields to the side for, for just a, a little while before we, we get on to that aspect of things. Mark, we always start off, and you, you'll know because you've listened to them, about harking back to the very first time you remember being trackside or on the on the side of a star, rally stage or at the end of a drag strip or or somewhere, your first actual memory of a motorsport event that that you went, wow, this is cool. I'm going to have some focus on my life and on this stuff. Yeah, thanks, Darren. It's got to be it's got to be 1988 at Sandown. Um, obviously, family was involved in Shell at the time, and my father Gary was a Shell distributor and. GNL Tierney Bendigo were the local Shell distributors. So to have a Shell-sponsored car and this guy, Dick Johnson, who, again, at that stage was very well-known um, and went down there to Sandown and watched them. They finished third. But the noise, that red car, it was like, wow, this is really cool. And then only within a month, and you can backdate this, have a look, but um, I'm watching the Japanese Grand Prix, probably had it taped on VHS. And obviously those Michelle McLarens, the MP44, and um, suddenly, towards the end of the broadcast, a very quick ad shows up with Shell, which is pretty cool. But the end of the ad had this um, very vague Tierney Petroleum um, ad at the end of it in you know very boring font with our phone number because, of course, there's no websites or Twitter handles. And I thought to myself, that is just so cool to see um, to see us vaguely connected to to Formula One. It was just for a, a kid in grade five who was impressionable, and I'm impressionable now. But a kid in grade five, that was something else and very exciting was that on regional tv or oh, would have been tv8 or something and it was we didn't obviously didn't get anything live because this was the um japanese grand prix i remember even that was late at night so you'd have to set the vhs and tune in but then more more relevant and one of my favorite stories and not everyone gets this but um of all people brian reed was uh one of the like the mediator or the, the umpire or the dude at the at our, at our university exams he was the guy that would make sure we didn't cheat. And not everyone knew Brian, but I did quite well. And he'd always make really funny comments about, you know, oh, you're starting at the rear of the grid because I'd be sitting in the back of the room <laughs> you know, who was doing what. And um, Brian was amazing to be a Bendigo guy. And I mean, he had so many contacts. And, and I, I didn't know a lot about his own motor racing career, but I certainly knew him as a as an MC, as a speaker, as a as a um a spokesperson and um he was amazing to have so much contact with brian over over my years and just through bendigo you know latrobe uni to be there a lot and bumped into him at the uh, at cams one day and he was really friendly to me when no one else was so um yeah no that was living in bendigo you couldn't you couldn't avoid brian reed you yeah, know so- Daz Daz there that uh brian reed drove charges too don't you all the greats did, guys, and uh, they all moved on in the 80s. You've held on until the, the late 20s. <laughs> You're still in there, guys. You've still got the Mopar T-shirt to prove it as well. <laughs> now, Mark, you um, just before we came on, we were, we were talking about you know, some of our other guests. We've had Simon Evans and bits and pieces like that, and you, you just had a quick, a very, very Mark Tierney-type quick quip about a, a Datsun stanza that that yeah. um, your dad was involved with in rallying. Just the LPG, to, LPG, so again, again, even today this baffles me, but it was the birth of LPG and 
Gary was able to secure sponsorship from um, Liquid Gas, whatever the gas company was called. But the, the, the plan was to, and it worked, to, su to supply, and they were bolting in the whole tank to the to the car at the service stages. This is the Round Australia Rally. I mean, this is not a, a local forest rally. This is the this is the big deal. And uh, he just got the logistics sorted. And um, the, the, no offence to our Datsun friends, but the car wasn't fast. And a Datsun Stanza on LPG ain't fast either. But a hell of a project. And, yeah, the, this whole theme of fuel just always comes back into my world. And it's still here today. But uh, you're running a Datsun Stanza on LPG for the 1995 um, rep, uh, Repco Reliability Trial. or something I really remember because Gary was away for a long time to do it. And, um, again, sparked his interest in motorsport, which trickled to me yeah just touching on your dad your dad was um successful in targas in not not dirt rally but in those bitumen style of rallies and did you get along to those with him those those events we did them we did them together and for you know we're talking grassroots in the 90s uh mid 90s late 90s the biggest event really was the grand prix rallies they were huge um and so he would do the grand prix rallies and, and club events and then at some point, he had friends, and it was a really social guy. And the family had contacts that were all doing Targa Tasmania. So the idea was to do Targa, and that was 1996. We prepared for the event. The car we had at the time was a similar to George Fidwick's story. We had a an EC Cobra replica. Uh, it was a fiberglass stack chassis on ridiculous, massive engine, massive side pipes, um, small wheels. We only ran um, 16 inch Simmons wheels, so we could only get the Yokohama. 8008s on it. That was the only tire we could get, which were good in the dry, but not so much in the wet. But uh, we built up a a Cobra and, and, a, and a ripping tire of the year, I might add. Yeah. Good tire, good tire. But uh, that was what we built up, and that was what we had. And um, listen to George's podcast. The same, the same problems. You don't have that certificate of um, determination or that that cam C. We don't have that for those sorts of cars. So. The target was keen to have us on board and the, look, the fans loved the car, the people loved the car. It was a great car to be involved in, but it got handicapped pretty harsh and it didn't really work because, again, it had, a, it had a super turbo gearbox in it at the time to try and deal with because we kept breaking everything else because it had a lot of horsepower. And uh, the myth, because we had our own dyno back in those days out at Epsom and our own crew from that Epsom service centre would build the car. And uh, trying to measure horsepower when this thing is uh, at 500, 550, 600, whatever that number was, Became a challenge to bolt the thing down to try and uh, measure that horsepower, but it was a mythical beast, the AC Cobra, and we loved it. And the in the early days of Targa, it was a a prologue was around Georgetown, which is a really point and shoot little course, and in the dry and you know stop and go with a with this um, crazy little Cobra. You know, Gary qualified in the top ten on in our first rally, and this is up against the three hundred cars that were there. Day two or day one of the rally it started to rain and things got really really bad for us. But um, but hey, it was that was an amazing experience. And then he went in to build up a '65 Mustang, which he imported, and which is funny because nowadays that car would be considered a barn find. But we imported this uh, fastback Mustang to the back shed in Bendigo, and uh, his crew again, Gratton and Mark, out of the Epsom Service Centre, built up this car. And he was always disappointed when the work went away from us and got the cage done here and this done there and that done here and nothing was right and um our our mechanic Grattan spent a lot of time fabricating on the car and building built it up and improved it a lot and it ended up running uh a lot of supercar you know, Herod um uh you know, suspension components and it had a Hollinger uh, sequential gearbox so it wasn't a lot of 65 Mustang in that car but it was <laughs> it was a hell of a car and it was it's quite amazing and um 
Uh, Gary's really proud of that car. Still exists. Um, it's done. It's it doesn't do as much anymore, but it's still a monster. And um, and that car did two things that I'm really proud of. And and Gary was always proud of this. Is that um, soon after we built our car, and, and Gary spoke to everyone at the time. We got Steve Code put a Monaro together out of the Melbourne Performance Centre with um, Troy Russell. Steve Code's Monaro. Len Catlin's Mustangs were born from that era as well. We've just got mm. these hero muscle cars that did basically a decade of Targa Tasmania rallies and it was a good time to be involved and um, we had trouble with the Cobra and it was a life lesson and a life lesson in in uh, perseverance but then the Mustang was a good mix for us and we ended up getting um, five Targa plates in a row and which was terrific because I was co-driving with, with dad and oh, that was good, good times and um, that annual Targa Tasmania event was just something else. So when you're just going back, when you refer to the Epsom Service Centre, you're talking the suburb of Bendigo or the right. inner, right. inner Melbourne suburb no, no, of Epsom? Bendigo. We were, um, Bendigo. We were Bendigo yep. base and that was on the same site as the as the original Shell Depot and um, was one of the original sites that the, the service station network was. There's two sites plus the distributorship. And and um, yeah, Grattan and Mark did Motec courses through that site, um, Grattan's fabrication skills through that site and I'll, I'll tie this up to a, a, the second part of the story where it's a winter's afternoon in, in Bendigo. It's, it's maybe 1999, thereabouts. The phone rings and someone called Gary wants to talk to Gary. So dad's on the phone to someone talking about talking about Motec, talking about fabrication, talking about building uh, this car up from scratch. And uh, long story short, that's Gary Rogers doing a reference for Grattan Kelly um, who got uh, recruited into the Monaro program. And uh, that Mustang was his resume, and we are still so proud of that. And a, a killer idea. So, Gary was a, a hard taskmaster, but a perfectionist, and uh, yeah, building some beautiful cars. Either of those cars you've just touched on the the Cobra replica and the Mustang still in in the family somewhere, or they've moved the Mustang, on. Or? The Mustang definitely is. It's um, yeah, very close to our hearts. I really want to run it soon in something, and we came close to maybe looking at doing a. Um, Targa Revival. Uh, my brother Hayden's desperate to do the Tassie tin tops and get some supercar coverage. If we could um, jump into the tin top category, not sure what we'll do with it, but it's still there. It's just, it's gorgeous. Uh, the, and the Cobras, I haven't seen a few other views. It turned up in Facebook recently with um, Mark Cruz's son, and I, I saw it and the, it just invoked immediate memories because what was very cool about the Tarmac Rally is just the amount of photos they would take of your car and then. There was a reason we'd be bark gala dinner at the end of the night and they would have a hundred photos or a thousand photos and you'd have a few beers and you'd buy every single photo because it was just amazing. <laughs> so in every office, in every bedroom, in every in every room in the house, there was a framed picture of the Cobra and the Mustang. Because it was just, just for us, it was art, and we loved it. I, I've Actually, seen, I've seen how you celebrate the end of a day at Sydney Motorsport Park, mate. You order everything off the entree as well. That's right. We we do order the order the menu. It's been a big day. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly did Daz in that time, and we were all there. Um, you mentioned about uh, doing a Tassie tin top or something like that. Didn't Steve Code run a Monaro in a couple of those type yeah, of events? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the back in those days, the target cars could go and do other things, and they were fantastic track cars, and they were. And they still are. And it was just a great time because you'd go into a Maserati club day with the great Jim Riak and they would, um, and those guys would embrace you. And I would, I learned to drive in both the Mustang and the Cobra, the Maserati club days because the target cars were relevant. Um, and the Maserati club was good enough to have us to go and do them. And then we were allowed to be there. Uh, it's a bit hard to bring the Cobra or the Mustang to a Porsche club day, but, um, <laughs> but those, those car club days are great. And, 
again, the car culture of just being involved in Tamak Rally through you know through this day. It's just a, the social side of it is what drags people in, for better or worse. It's um it's a lot of enjoyment that, that gets everyone out of it. Without sounding too poignant about the the name of our podcast, Mark, certainly um, the the teeny motorsport has been as you guys, as you guys, you know, and your family competing has all been at that grassroots level. You know, oh, yeah. Jim Riark and the Maserati Car Club, yeah. the, the Porsche Owners Club, etc. These are, um, you know, Maserati and Porsche are upper echelon names. But when you go to those club days, you might you could be at your local tennis club, your local cricket club, football club. It's just a, a bunch of like-minded people getting together and enjoying what they what they're there to do. And a, a huge, a huge component of, of our family business and our mentoring and our consulting and a lot of work goes through to the people we met at in the paddock or in the pits at Sandow. Mm-hmm. And they become your friends and, and contacts. And I've done a huge amount of business with uh, with yeah, car people because you're, you're like-minded and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And another event I wanted to touch on would have been the, you know, the Winton six-hour and also the Phillip Island six-hour great events where you mm-hmm. just got a group of mates running around in uh, whatever you had and you'd... It, I love those events because you drag someone else in who probably wasn't going to do it, but you had three cars and needed four, or you had two cars and needed three. You'd grab someone in and they'd have to go and get a tow hook on their car and they'd have to put stickers on their car and they'd, they'd run with you. And then, yeah, nine times out of ten, they'd become an enthusiast and they would do more and more track days, which is what we love. Because the more track days is the more fuel burnt. So there's something in it. Ah, now we start uh, to link the, link the story. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So let's um let's put the 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 Tini family racing team or the, the the passion for for automotive to one side, and we'll come back to it because there there are other cars in your um in your family that are, are beautiful and relevant to to talk about. Just recently, um, you via your race fuels website posted a, a lovely photo of yourself and Penny Swan, an absolute legend of. Um, or the family, a legend of rallying, um, and yep. we call and, and safariing, and the you know the real hardcore end of rallying. And um, in fact, we have had one of your noted very early customers on the podcast with Phil Hughes, yep. and you were celebrating with Penny twenty years of of race fields. Tell us about twenty years ago when Penny and Phil were, were talking with you and Gary and and wanting to get something done. Yes, I, I was um, I, I was out of the family business. No, I was finished uni and I was working in recruitment in Collins Street and I was reasonable at it, but I didn't love it. But it was um, the networking side of it was good. But I remember I got caught with a copy of Auto Action under my arm on the way into work instead of uh, the financial review. And uh, it was just obvious that I wanted to be in amongst car racing or or rallying or something. And, and also probably tie back into the family business. And I'm so glad I, I took that, that turn. So it's 2003. There's a lot happening. So um, there's this French brand of fuel that someone knows something about and someone knows someone. And the, through the service station networks, we get introduced to Tony Hatton, who is the Australian distributor for Elf Racing Fuel. And I again, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I wasn't that familiar with Elf. You know, it's a legendary brand. And the more you look at it, the more you find it. I mean, the... Um, you look at a Williams Renault um, archives and it's all about the Elf brand, but Elf's certainly there, but I didn't know a lot about it. So French fuel. You look at, and, you look at Jackie Stewart's early Formula One oh, cars, oh, you know, they all down the of I've shown my age. I'm thinking about Hill and Villeneuve and you're not, you're talking Jackie Stewart, but, yeah. um, and one day, one day I'll bring the, the six wheel F1 car out to, to, to some car shows. I, I think it's only <laughs> if, if the Elf brand continues as it's going in Australia, but um, yeah, so it's, 
And it was uh, it was amazing because I, I wanted to launch something and and a customer, my early customer was um, Warren Gainsmith of Gainesville Furniture, and they did a really good job with the home show or the home expo. And he was he was Mister Expo, and and I, I thought if I wanted to, if I ever launched something, I'd do it the way Warren was doing it with his furniture. And long story short, Lisa Scaife and Penny Swan are running a motorsport expo. So and it just in timely, you know, in January, February, March thereabouts of. 2003 so it was let's run a stand and let's see what we can do and then uh, took it to penny she's she's running an evo uh from memory and um and natasha was her first co-driver it just made sense because natasha was from bendigo made sense to have some elf in the car and it was just awesome because you could not get a better ambassador than penny swan or any of the swan family um just perfect perfect synergy and penny and i to this day still catch up and bump into each other racetracks is what happens and um yeah, those early days, um, we really wanted to, you know, promote this Elf Fuel. And I, I, we immediately grabbed the Tasmanian distributorship because I knew Target had an interest in it. It had to have because I'd seen the the lack of Avgas on public roads. I'd seen the lack of 98 Ron in Tasmania at the time. So there was a need. Um, we got Steve Glenny's GDR tuned up on the, on the fuel and he amazed everyone because of his driving, not because of my fuel, but his driving would sort of set the tone that, hey, if you want to set a car up properly, there's this fuel. And um, before too long, I had guys, and I didn't know them, but I had Alan Heafy and Pete West ringing me for, for fuel. And I thought, wow, okay, cool, and I can do this. And I was very, because of the recruitment job I was doing, it was hard to get, hard to win business and hard to get a gig. So any opportunity you had to grab with by hand. So um, Alan loved me because I was happy to deliver the fuel to his workshop, but I was happy to be on time and I was, I was really happy to be involved. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were great early contacts with all the rally programs. So um Elf grew from there, and I obviously wanted desperately to be more involved in circuit racing because I was passionate about it, but I had no in yet. Um, and it wasn't until Phil Hughes is ringing me, asking me about engine maps for, for Ferraris, and I didn't know a lot about engine maps for Ferraris, but I certainly knew the basics of, hey, Australia's 98 Ron fuel is not necessarily what they're using in Europe, and what I kept being drummed into from the French is that the fuel is better in Europe, even the pump fuel is better than Europe, so... We needed to come up with a um, an, an option for them, and and this is the the birth of the Alan Simonson program. So interesting, uh, interesting, Mark. Just to, as an aside, the the people you've touched on there, Alan Heafy, um, oh. Phil Hughes, um, all at that time coming out of Europe and coming down under to Australia. To you know, Alan had left and was running a rally program, and and he was one of our early guests in the in the podcast, and he, he explained all that. The way that went so those guys came here with an absolute head of steam and when they landed here went there's no good fuel in the europe we would just yeah. go down and get the elf we and then all it. of a sudden you guys have got it yeah absolutely they're, they're you know they're importing cars and they want to run them immediately and they can all of a sudden it's not detune them and and you know, bastardize their performance it uh, was really a case of we can run the way they're meant to and then it wasn't, you know, and look, Tony Hatton was doing a fantastic job out of Sydney as well. So uh, he 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 and Haley put a lot of work into the gravel rally community, and you've got Bates, Herridge, Crocker, Evans, Petter, all running the Elf Fuel, and um, yeah, things looking pretty good. It was it was it was, it was terrific. And um, by this stage, I've effectively got away from competing myself as a co-driver because, and I loved it because I sort of knew people and I was happy to talk to people. And and, and rallies are great because there's a lot of socialising, there's a lot of, lot of waiting around. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of opportunities to talk up to and talk to people and, and give some good service. And in this industry, being good reasonable service, you've got a half a chance of of making a sale. So you were just um you were going to try and cut into the the circuit racing 
end yes. of things because I mean you, you can correct me on this, but I would suggest that um, that would be where the volume of motorsport is competed, oh. and there is certainly some a lot of consumption. Yeah, I became I became constantly frustrated with my love for Target Tasmania, but it is once a year. And uh, um, you, you finish it, you come on that down from such a high end of event, you've got a long time to the next one. Um, and now what I know now is that there is, and these are a podcast that talks about this, there's a race meeting every weekend. And Daz, if you're not at one, then, then Gaz, you're at the other. Or you're at both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So um, circuit racing made sense. You've suddenly got venues that have fuel compounds, venues that are expecting to have fuel. And you know, I can't... The, the rallies, you, you can't have meetings with the CFA about what you're going to do. They're quite worried about you. Whereas a, a circuit, if you do anything properly, there's no, the compliance is pretty easy. Here's where the fuel goes. Bring it here. Do this. Park it here. Set up. And and you're away. So Was, was it like that when you first started doing it? Oh, what, what we've done is, is there were compounds at most venues, but um, we certainly built a lot up in a in a. Mm. I imagine it would have been a bit rough in some yeah. places or oh, not, even, not to the standard we have now. Absolutely. And a little bit of concrete goes a long way, but Jesus is expensive. And I know that from my Ipswich experiment. There's there's money in concrete, but um, you need to do that in today's days. And in my early days at Phillip Island, the, the, the fuel combat had the concrete pads for the for the fuel bun, but the rest was gravel. And um, Pipes and Park have done a great job to you know, clean that place. And Lynn Fox have done a great job to, to bitumize the whole thing. And it's it's a beautiful facility to work in. And we're you know, really proud to be there. And look, we um, we make sure that there's opportunities for people to run there seven days a week because there's now fuel on site at those venues. So we've upgraded SMS or City Motorsport Park, Eastern Creek, a little bit as well. Just Mark, let's just yeah. just just stop yeah, for a sec. In the typical Tierney fashion, you're jumping ahead three decades <laughs> in one minute. Can do. You you <laughs> you started to get into the circuits, and it was um, regulations were changing. Uh, 9-11 yep. changed a lot of things. You know, there was a lot of insurance things that all of a sudden had to come around. And you guys all of a sudden were given real world OH&S requirements and fuel bunding. You know, even yep. your, your property in South Melbourne, you, you all of a sudden you were like, wow, we need to actually be in a in a, D, a, D, a DG type site. And you guys really did, you know, when Sean came on board and you really had to start complying with real world fuel supply at racetracks in rural parts of the country. Yeah, yeah. And what, what we found, and we've made concessions and we've built things and we've made it work so we can do it compliantly, but it was fairly hard in the early days to do that because you'd go to a Bathurst or a Phillip Island that had these great compounds. Then you'd go to Queensland Raceway in Oran Park, which did just didn't, and you'd have to you'd have to make it work. So it is on the forefront of everyone's mind. Compliance is important, and we are the conduit between the promoter and the circuit and the sport itself because everyone wants to run. Promoters don't always want to buy the spend money on the fuel comp. Circuits don't always want to spend money on the fuel compound, but we still want to run. So we're race tools ends up as the conduit there, making sure things can work. So getting into circuits, we we had a good run with um, categories like Formula Three that simply had to have the fuel, and um, and I was really enjoying working in amongst Formula 3 for the, you know, in the early 2000s. And then um, before too long, we got serious and um, and had to really look at where was the next step for race fuels. And um, one of the big moments we had was the 2007 Bathurst 12-out, the, the sort of the revival of that event. Um, we tended for that event, which came with about Utes. Craig Daniel was heavily involved in putting that together and they needed a fuel supplier. And it, for once, it wasn't the supercar's fuel supplier. So there was an opportunity for someone else to do it. But I had to work very hard to make sure that we were 
offering a good price, a good service, a good a good process, so that I could put uh, this new um, venture on the map and and make it work. And we we had some wins in that um, that early. 2007 event it was big but again a lot of grassroots teams in that event a lot of amateur teams not everyone was a full professional so we were able to really service it well with bringing the fuel in drum pre-packed in drums you know and there was a process that that worked for us to do that but the teams receiving the drums and i'd interviewed um the competitors that did the 24-hour races and they did say the hardest part was doing the fuel and I interviewed people after the 2007 Bathurst 12 hour, and they said the easiest part was doing the fuel. So really happy to make a change in the culture there. And one of the ideas was, at the very least, if they want fuel, um, text me your garage number and your car number, and I'll drive it up to you on the forklift. There was a huge crowd of those days, so I could drive a forklift around the back into the teams. And um, and that was an easy method of delivering fuel in a compliant method without all the fuel through the, through the public. And it worked quite well, and that was... A real good moment to get uh, to be on the the big stage and do an event at Bathurst um, was a real thrill. So that uh, two thousand seven. Did you do fuel fuel there before the new pit complex got built at Bathurst? No, I was my first event was the uh, was the new complex. So oh, you were lucky then because beforehand well, all the steps, all the steps, yeah. Level, yeah, yeah, it, and very limited laneway behind yeah. the pit lanes as well. It would have been or the pit garages would have made it difficult. Well, what what the teams had to do was push their own drum through that area up and down the steps and whatnot. It just mm. really was not too bad. I mean, not good for anyone, but a V8 supercar team running the one thousand. This is their job. They've resourced to do it. They've got everything they need. A mm. grassroots entry into the into the Bathurst twelve hour or the Bathurst six hour does not have two guys or girls to do fuel. Mm. And I'm quite proud of the fact that regardless of what we need to charge for fuel, um, we are reducing your costs to compete because that's two people that don't need to be fed, the two people that don't need to be there, two people that can do another job. Um, mm. Bringing people up to do fuel is not something we need to do. And, and obviously, we only charge for what you take away. So I think it's, I still believe it's good service. And there's another quick plug for our race fuels abilities. Let's, um, while we're at Bathurst and talking about yeah. Bathurst, one of, um, one of my fondest memories is um, coming to your compound at Bathurst, and and first of all walking in the gate and going, "Holy wow, what a uh, what a lot of commitment for a fuel supplier for a start." Um, you know, we see the big the big um, Pirelli, the big um, you know MRF tents and trucks and all that sort of thing, and you think, yeah, you know, they're you know the tires are a decent whack, and you thought, well, hang on a minute, look at this fuel compound. Um, you know, you've gone from the dirt. Yep. And uh, and an umbrella to a you know a real proper almost like a mining site overhead compound with all the you know yeah. with all the all the mod cons all and, and again I'll touch on it again all of the safety features that you're required to have in a modern OHS world. Yeah, what um to... what sort of commitment did that take you and how did you make oh. it work with the council for a start? What we had up there, what we were offered and we used for a number of years was effectively the security guards guard gatehouse to the to the fuel compound. And it only fitted to people. And they weren't racehorse people because um probably if it's only one. So I had a fantastic photo with with all of us lined up in our red t-shirts trying to jam into this gatehouse. And I said to the council, Hey, look, this is probably not gonna work for for a, a site shed. Can we look at something else? Happy to Happy to fund it because we know we now do five events up there a year. It's no longer one event. It's no longer two events. When I started this business, the 1,000 was the one event for the year. Then before you know it, there's 24 or the 12 hour. And uh, now there's Easter. And now there's the Bathurst International. And then there's Challenge Bathurst. And all of these events, anytime you go to Bathurst, it's a commitment in time and, <laughs> and on 
on site. So what we wanted to do there is have a ven- have a facility that we could use that we could we could eat out of, we could work out of, we could rest in, because there are look there are times we are we're there for a couple of hours waiting for something to happen because at uh, motorsport that's a big part of the deal prior to the race starting you you sit and wait so we needed a site that would work. I also wanted to set the standard because again. I look to the Trevor Schumachs and the Kevin Fitzsimmons of the world, and, and Ty is a good example, and and what Gara have done with Pirelli. I I wanted to put race seals on the map here to say we are committed and we want to be here and we want to do this properly. So the best option was a a portable classroom site shed, and the the, the space we had allowed me to put a forty foot um, <laughs> what long portable classroom, and we ran a, a kitchen area and a full a full um, office area in there as well because, again, there's important work that needs to be done. That office looks straight into the compound, whereas the previous little gatehouse is still there if you want to see it. Um, the gatehouse is still sort of around the corner and doesn't look out of the compound. This one looks straight into the compound. And it gives us a, a place to be, place to keep either keep dry, keep warm, or keep cool, and that's often all in the one day. And uh, no, it's 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 something we're pretty proud of, and that's something we need to do. It's all temporary; it can be removed. There's the disclaimer, but so uh, we hope it's there for a long, long time. We hope to be servicing the, the venue for a very long time. But it had been literally ten years since the another fuel supplier had run an event at Bathurst for fuel. So um, on that date, I was like, okay, guys, uh, Bathurst City Council, can we please now look at taking race fuel seriously and, and doing this, doing this um, for the staff and for the people and. Uh, I've got a really good crew, but um, one one guy who works really, really hard with this being um, Sean Scott, a general manager, he uh, sets a high level. So um, on a good day, you can work to his high level. And I think that that, uh, that site shed operates at the level that, um, that he wants to be at, which means that we can do that job up there um, safely and compliantly. And, and hey, it's a little bit important on, on a big day in October. Just light, just a bit lighthearted on that. On that, Mark, when you have a new staff member start, do you give them a pole vault and say, "Now yeah, you've got to try and reach Sean Scott's height with the pole vault"? Is that what it is? Like <laughs> the gen- is, uh, I'm the guy that I'm the guy that uh, is ultimately responsible here, but that guy over there, he's the one that's going to set the standard. Absolutely, and and it, and it, we've bounced off each other a number a number of times, and that so that energy works really well. Whereas I'll go out and, and get a deal, and he's happy to try and put it together and make it work. So. No, we're um we're a good team on a good day, but um yeah he he, he loves the challenges and look and I uh, we we throw the gauntlet out there if, if there's a fuel supplier out there that wants to do it better then come at us we're happy to have the competition but it is hard um with the the way the the world wants to be with compliance and, and expectations and standards it's a hard deal so um if you're gonna come at us you better be ready hey um, let's go back to the the when you weren't the the fuel supply to the big uh, big motorsport show in Australia, which is um, the Supercars uh, Tour. Yep. You're now established um, with Supercars, and and I would suggest that you know, like anyone who supplies Supercars, you're held accountable to a a rigorous uh, stress test every year or so to make sure you're in the job. Tell us about how race fuels got into that position because it was sought yeah. after and there, and it was in a, a very well-established organization that were there before you. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we had a, a small crack at in 2007 because that, that 12 hour deal came with the V8 Utes. So I did the V8 Utes in 2007. I also did Career Cup in 2007 because the Sharon family at that time had Career Cup and I knew them from Targa. So, Hey, you're, if you mates at Targa, it's a deal done. So <laughs> 2007, I had a real crack and um, really enjoyed 
suddenly doing, and it was it was 98 Ron Pump Fuel. It wasn't Elf, but I certainly enjoyed being at the circuits and doing the volumes and doing the repeat business that Elf doesn't always have. So I really enjoyed 2007 and uh, had a real crack at it. But that sort of crack started to form late in the season and it got harder and harder. And I could see that there was a push to move the second supplier out. And I get that. And we we certainly tried to be the we had a crack at being the, that supplier, but that didn't work. So um, we uh, we got pushed out. And I, it, as ridiculous as it was, it's just the compliance of they decided that for the very last round of out utes, we'd need to be pushing the cars in and out of the fuel compound. We couldn't drive them to the Bowser anymore because it was a safety issue. And I get that, but that wasn't a safety issue for the safety cars of the course cars. It wasn't an issue for the V8 Supercar Gator. But hey, the V8 Utes had to be pushed. So I spent my last last event of 20, 2007 pushing pushing these utes in and out. And it was hot and it was dusty and it really wasn't uh, where I wanted to be. And I was a bit um, bit disappointed. We, we had a crack at 2008 to say, look, we wanted to do this, but there was a supplier and there was a sponsor in Shell who was so happy to, to keep it going. Uh, before too long, Shell got out and Caltex had half an interest in it, but didn't really. So the other supplier had to go independent for a while, which is the rules that I live to every day, but he was dependent for a couple of, couple of years. And it was the 2011 Bathurst 12-hour that sort of set the standard because suddenly we had the international cars at the 12-hour. It was a big investment for us to bring a lot of Elf in for that, for that event. And as much as I loved the grassroots nature of the production car, 12 hour the this concept of gt3 cars at bathurst but for a 12 hour was was just irresistible and and we again in true racehorse fashion we grabbed it with both hands and and uh, sean was all over it with with order forms out to the teams and and he knew exactly who we were dealing with when um oh, team phoenix the Addy team were coming in you know, trying to rattle off their uh what yeah, their, their uh their resume was pretty impressive out of europe yeah okay this is a big deal and we got the call from supercars um on you know, just in around the 12-hour time saying, how are things going? I'm going pretty good. Thanks for calling. What do you call? How's pricing? I said, it's going pretty good. How are things? And long story short, the the current vet supercar supplier had um, had the need to push his prices up by about 30%. And we can see that coming because, again, it's a tough gig and prices were going everywhere. And um, they said, would you tender for it? And I said, well, look, I definitely would. And we'd like the opportunity, but I'd like to make some changes. But they said, no, you have to do it the way we want to do it. I said, okay, we'll give it a, give it a crack. And that was... I remember it because I had a beach weekend planned with my now beautiful wife Christy, and it's um, the day before a straight A weekend, and we get told we want, that they want the information. Supercars want the information on Monday, which was Australia Day weekend, but we uh, we nutted out a spreadsheet and we just we had to do it and we did it and, uh, and we went for it and we won won the business and um, spent the next you know two years really cleaning up that uh, that opportunity because again the teams. Uh, look, it was a bit lost at sea and needed some structure. And Sean Scott, structure, he's the man for that. So uh, we we're able to put that together and um, and give some service back as well, which I was passionate about. I um, it took you know, I only took two or three rounds before the teams realised, hey, these guys are giving us better service. And then before too long, um, the fuel brand moved from Sucrogen to United, and the the equipment that was used in supercars for the best part of 20 years was no longer relevant because these isotainers couldn't go into the terminal. So we had to go back to our own skill set and bring a tanker to the show. And it wasn't that big a deal, but look, there was a bit of pushback, but it had to happen because United were the supplier. So the tanker, and then we built up that um, that A trailer that you might see on out and about. So the A trailer is the curtain cider and the B tanker. And uh, we built that up and we removed the third-party freight out of the game as well, which meant a big, big deal because... 
the first couple of years we were we were copying it pretty hard by trying to move basically you know chemical methods of of movement not fuel industry methods of movement so um yeah good so opportunity what, what did you what did you have prior we we just run out of a out of a trailer ran, in a ute or something yeah they ran they ran isotainers um but again third party did all that work so um you just get bills for everything and we you get high bills just to dip the tanks because they they want to put a um and yeah it's compliance and safety but you get a a six hundred dollar bill to to dip the tanks because they wanted to put the um, the safety rail on and, and have a person that's approved to dip the tank to go up there and do that. And the, you yeah, you know, we need to dip the tanks because that's fairly important to fuel volumes. But um, all that sort of stuff that um, again with in house training and you know the industry is you know tanker drivers dip tanks every day of the week. It's not that hard to do. It's part of their job. And um, we could also very much tighten up. There's some crazy volumes going everywhere. So we we're able to tighten up how much fuel we bring to a supercar round. And it took a long time to convince um, you know, some of the, the the key stakeholders that, hey, it seems like you need two or three ISO tanks, but you probably need one tanker. So can we just bring the one tanker, please? And we, can, we, can we reduce the amount of volume by 50% on site? Um, and then also pre-packing the drums as well, speeds the process up because you turn up to a racetrack, particularly street circuit, and you wouldn't always have electricity ready to go. So you couldn't run the Bowser until they found the generator, all these little bits and pieces. So to have fuel pre-packed, we could hit the ground running. And uh, one of our, pro- our, one of our pro- proudest achievements is that, that concept of a, a supercar team, top level motorsport in Australia. They'll arrive and the fuel drum is waiting for them in the garage. When they arrive, we beat them to it. And that's uh, something we're really proud of. And that was a really quick and easy system that Sean's come up with to, just, to, just to give some service back. Again, Mark, you touched on street circuits. I remember one of the Adelaide 500s where you were absolutely off-site, not on the track. You had a, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a dangerous goods warehouse somewhere in Adelaide, which you had on short-term rent or something, whatever it was, and you had to freight it into the track as required. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we got burnt there by the moon. They changed the engineering group that ran the place. Um, they sold the real estate that had the fuel compound to some merchandisers, which I get, you know, it's a commercial world. But the um, the event was planned around the not having fuel. And we said, well, what do we do? Oh, you'd be right. We'll just store it elsewhere. And it was, that was really, really hard. And we we couldn't, it couldn't be done. And we, we protested it, but just got told to suck it up. But we protested that. We just, yeah. And look, we were, we were half a day late, but that still meant we were half a day early compared to everyone else. We still made it. But um, yeah, getting traffic and getting through Adelaide traffic for that event well, as you know, it's it's Adelaide. It's mm. and I love Adelaide, love Clips, always will. But the the town stops for that for that event. So trying to move trucks through um, with a time frame was a challenge. And uh, you know we've we've worked through that, and um, really pleased to say that yeah, they, they throw they throw those challenges at us. We can respond and say it can be done. It just becomes really really hard. So we still. Mm. Um, We'll get that done, but my goodness, was it hard work? Would Gold Coast be a similar sort of scenario? Uh, absolutely, yeah. We've we've had four separate locations for the Gold Coast, and, and again, something really passionate about with me is is repetitive and, and setting up a system and setting up an area that uh, makes sense to us. So to have to constantly move and, and relearn how we're going to do it for a, for a time critical event and a, and a really important event as, as the Gold Coast is, it's the major tourism jewel in the crown for the for the area. We need to get our job right, but yeah, it. Um, we, at the moment we're up at SeaWorld, which isn't too too bad, and we get up early, or the guys get up early in the morning. I won't say I will, but the guys get up early in the morning to take advantage of the daylight, 
and we deliver very early in the morning to, to that venue. It takes It's just taking some time. And the teams have to be on their toes because we need them to return their empty drums and do that process outside of hours. There's no servicing during the day. But, um, yeah, you put a put a, um, a schedule in front of Sean and he'll make it work. And I know, Darren, you know better than most. Uh, uh, Sean's mentor and his uncle was good at that sort of stuff. And you sh- maybe you should touch on that. Yeah, well, certainly. Yeah, Sean's uncle being Peter Nelson, who um, you know masterminded the eight support categories to have it a Grand Prix. He looked at uh, he looked at John Korschmidt's reports from um, previous Grand Prix, and they painted the curbs in Adelaide and Melbourne off the back of Stewart's reports from fifteen years earlier. And uh, you know, Sean followed in his uncle's footsteps into motorsport very closely, and I think both brought a, a similar thought pattern into. To what they do, and and I look, I think Mark, one of the the great things that Race Fuels has brought to Sean is that it gives him this stimulus to not only be involved in professional motorsport, which is what he always wanted to be in. Um, you know, he's he's doing it right at the upper echelon, and you you guys have been um, an interesting team to say the least. Every every good business has a has a logistics guy, and every good business has an entrepreneur, and you guys fit the fit the job descriptions. Perfectly. Let's touch on, there is a, a lot of interest when I spoke to some people at Phillip Island on the weekend. I don't talk to too many people about who the guests are going to be on the podcast, but I knew there was going to be a couple of people that would be interested in the fact that that Racefield's very own Mark Tini was going to be on. And every single person, even Gaz, when when we, we introed you, was talking about how on earth did Racefield's do it during COVID to keep the Supercars show running? What on earth went on down at at, at Race Fuels headquarters yeah, to keep the out. keep the show on yeah. the road. Yeah. Well step step one, we were allowed to we were allowed to operate because of the whole concept of we were essential services via service stations and the whole service stations are allowed to operate. So we we kept our Dell's doors open. Um we made some difficult tragic re- retrenchments. Um that we, we we then moved JobKeeper around to make that work. Uh so everything slowed right down and um the again, I'm still quite quite proud of how it went down because we just started working with the supplier Manildra for the ethanol for the super because we just got the BP deal and BP and it was great because BP were on our team and we said straight away back to Supercars, hey, look, we'll we'll nurture this BP relationship in terms of how the fuel's going to be built. We'll help because we believe we can do it better than anyone else. And I've gone record saying we absolutely can do it better than anyone else. So all of a sudden, prior to 2020, we had the agreement to make the supercars E85 control fuel out of Dandenong South. So we started to put, we put plans in, put tanks for the ethanol, uh, smaller tanks for the petrol and pumping gear and churning gear and testing gear so we can make this compliance consistent E85. And long story short, suddenly we don't need to do that. But um, we're telling Manildra that we don't need the supercar fuel or as much supercar fuel and their phones are running hot and it's it's just chaos for these great people in Nara with this ethanol because ethanol is the key ingredient to hand sanitizer. And every second factory <laughs> in, in Victoria wanted to do hand sanitizer. And it was, again, another battle between, you know, the, the battle of the state of origin. we got Queensland versus New South Wales versus Victoria. Who could get their hands on hand sanitizer or who could get their hands on ethanol? And... Um, I, I rang up to see if we could do anything because, hey, um, it was one, one of those days, I'm, I'm sure I probably remember it wrong, but I think Sean would have said to me, Mark, do something. Mark, do this. Mark, call this guy. And I'm like, okay, I will. And he's like, and the flippant comment was something like, mate, unless you can pack off 
100,000 IBCs of ethanol. We got nothing you can do. And I'm like, great. And I said, so send me the tankers. We'll get that done. And um, we had B-double tankers. So we pushed all the bowsers to the corner of the workshop and all the race stuff stopped. And I clearly remember the day we, we grabbed a bit of um, Wolfchester. There's a there's a, uh, a reference for you. Wolfchester Carby Clean. And we um, cleaned off the whiteboard that had all the events coming out. We had nothing going on. It was just nothing. And so closed the workshop down and but then before we knew it these speed doubles of of ethanol and this was a slightly different ethanol than the slightly slightly different ethanol than we used for the supercar fuel but it was still ethanol and it had a little bit more water in it but it was ethanol and we'd break it down into ibcs thousand liter ibcs thousand liter cubes and then we would deliver those cubes to all these little factories and little businesses that were desperate to make hand sanitizer and my goodness, we did, oh, it was, I think we did a million liters or half a million liters in three months. And we just ran and we ran around the clock because there was nothing else to do. So we're very, very lucky to be busy and very, very lucky to have the opportunity. And um, what we did that the others weren't doing is that we would um, connect multiple pumps to multiple compartments and we would empty and we would empty the tanker quicker than anyone else, which would give us the jump on the next speed double because we'd ring them and say, we're ready to go for the next one. Whereas traditionally, in a, in, a, in a normal environment, you do one compartment per tanker at a time with one pump, not three or four pumps, so three or four guys. And we, um, yeah, we ran a, a a little sweatshop and everyone worked really hard and did a lot of hours. And we just kept saying, bring more in, bring more in. And they couldn't believe it because, again, the, the demand was so outrageous that no one had seen anything like this before. So for someone to be able to say, give us the bulk, we could package it and get it out the next day, it was just, just ridiculous. And, um, and that... That kept us sane but insane all at the same time. And that was three months of just utter chaos, but that kept us through there. And that gave us some breathing space because there was a little bit of income with that job. Um, and Manildra were fantastic to give us the opportunity, but that gave us some breathing space. And then Supercar said, we're going to go. And then all of a sudden it's the, you've got to go and you've got to get across the border and you've got to go forever. And that's where that happened. And we were able to send Brian, our tanker driver, Brian Franken, BF, our tanker driver, he he went north because his mum and dad were based at Cowra at the time. So he went north immediately, but he's based there. And the headache we had was that only Dandenong South is the only place in Australia or Asia Pacific we can make this fuel or do the supercar control fuel. And it is still hard, even with the 98 Ron, say for, um, you know, Bersa Buttes or a small category. The 98 Ron is hard to source elsewhere because our our equipment's a bit bespoke and custom and we, we're not regular into terminals in Darwin and Townsville. So we still needed the fuel in Dandenong to get to. And from memory, there was, Darwin definitely happened. Townsville definitely happened. Um, think Eastern Creek happened about- Multiple seven, events. Yeah. Yeah, Multiple Townsville events. had a double header and yeah. Yeah, the Townsville- So did Darwin. Was, and um, and then again, testament to Sean, his ability to get a spreadsheet out under pressure and go, right, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to run the following volumes to the following method. And um, we'd load up uh, and we had some wonderful support from Nesky Transport, Kevin Nesky and his drivers. And some of his drivers are ex-supercar team workers, so they kind of get it and they all step in and go, we're going to do this. So we could use their truck drivers to move the barrel backwards and forwards and bring the empty, when I say barrel, I mean the tanker part of the truck. Fill that, send it to Brian. He'd take it to the event. Uh, he'd come back empty and we'd repeat. And then, um, and Sean was good enough to, to make some real sacrifice as well and, and spend a lot of time on, on the road. I mean, uh, Brian did that. All the Victorian teams who did a 100 days or 130 days or 200 days, whatever that yeah. was, it was huge. And they were gone for a long time. Um, Sean did some stints um, and we just just made it work. And I'm not going to lie, we, we lent on the 
the family business, the family network, um, to just to hang in there uh, because there's no way that that was a business case. Um, and that's why I always throw the gauntlet at anyone looking at looking at doing race fields or looking at this sort of job. You better come at us hard because it's yeah, it's, it's hard it's hard to take us down, and we'll continue to do so. We just we had to just just hook in and, and hang in. It was a tough time because there wasn't a lot of income. Um, Has Mark, would you say at the supercars management level that there is there is a memory for that? Like there is a bit of muscle memory that you know you guys and the tire suppliers and the teams and everyone had to go that extra yard. Do you think there is that muscle oh, memory that when it if when and I, if it comes up that will work in your advantage? I certainly hope so. I certainly we we fed off the other energy, and I, I still compare ourselves to the teams. We're not a team, and we don't we're not a race team, but they got they they work so much harder than we do, and they, the 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 true fans of the sport don't understand the hours that um that engineers and mechanics put into these cars. So you're always aware that the others are doing it tougher. Um and look again, we we benefit off the back of we are in this for the long haul and we can help um help supercars with whichever fuel company they want to deal with. Um ditto for the 12 hour. They're going to need a fuel company to do what they're doing. Uh, and there's a, it's a one-stop shop. So yeah, there's a point where there's a muscle memory there. And look, we're certainly always thankful for any opportunity but at the same time there's a point where we all work together to make to make uh make it happen and uh yeah you're dead right there's hopefully some muscle memory there because there was there was a pain all round, but we we got it done and i think history will show we um we performed extremely well out, out of ridiculous circumstances can we put a bit of a full stop on the, the supercars aspect of it because that is you know that's the let's call it the the flag waving aspect of your business um you know this so far this year, I've been to state rounds at Sandown, Winton, and Phillip Island. Yep. Um, each each one of those circuits, the fuel compounds has got a, a an easy up with the race fuels banner on it, and uh, and some concrete, and you know all of the nice compliances that that weren't there 15, 20 years ago, um, and they they probably would have been there anyway because the world had to change in that aspect. How does your staff, you know, you don't have a massive staff. You're talking, you're just sort of talking like you're not a race team where they've got 20 or 30 people at the track. You're lucky to have one or two or maybe one and a half, someone doing half an event here and half an event there. Um, how is the passion with your staff for going to, to yeah. weekend after weekend of car racing? Yeah, yeah. Well, not not all of us love doing that, but some of us do. Um, but yeah, it's a... It's a small group, but again, I'll be honest, the worst place to be at race fields, and today was a good example, is a Monday morning because we come off the high of a, a race meeting and then you have to go in a, into the office on a Monday. So um, the the race weekends don't always feel like work as much as they are. You're still at an event you'd probably like to be at, um, and I'll tick that box to be at the Muscle Car Masters in Sydney or Phillip Island Classic. You're not at work. This is your dream, and this is real. This is just amazing. And also, we take a lot of energy off the back of our growth into state racing, um, and the, the the healthy the healthy level that is big state racing. I mean, we we're thrilled that um, you know, 286's scholarship series is down there, and um, there's a there's a definite need for us to be there. But um, no, it is it is difficult to keep everyone motivated. But it's and it is relentless because there is always a race meeting somewhere. And I'll say it again: you're either at one or you're at the other one. And they're always, um, it's relentless. There is always race meetings to attend. So we, we're very passionate to be there. And that's why I'm very excited about um, my job tomorrow is to shoot to Queensland Raceway and put fuel in the new tanks that are there because we're, we're opening a service station on site. And I, again, that will really, in my opinion, it's, it's biased, but it will really benefit 
the grassroots races, the state races, the club days, and the guys doing testing, they can spend more time at the racetrack. Um, forget what the cool bill costs. The second you leave the racetrack, that's an opportunity lost. So, mm-hmm. um, and I've done I've done events at Ipswich where you've got drag racing and carts on the same weekend, and getting out of the place to get down the street or get get out um, to get fuel or get food is hard. So you don't have to do that anymore. And we've seen a huge amount of um, of uptake on the the Bowsers that are at Sydney Motorsport Park because again. You're at City Motorsport Park, or you're at any circuit because you want to participate in the track time. You don't want to not be on track. So, the opportunity to grab a little bit of fuel and stay there and do another session is uh, too alluring to, to to leave and go somewhere else. So, to have Queensland Raceway and a new uh, fuel station is quite exciting. That's really really important to us. So, how's it going to? How does it go? Like last weekend, we had fixed state race down at Phillip Island. We had New South Wales Circuit racing at City Motorsport Park. South Australia had a state championship meeting at the band and QR, which you're talking about uh, going to, they had their, um, their two, well, not their two days of fun, but their uh, QR drivers championship meeting. Yeah. So you got yeah. four race. I mean, it might not happen every weekend, but, and you might not have to actually beat every one of them, but how do you go when you've got multiple events yeah. on the same weekend? That's look. That's why we've got. We're really interested in the opportunity to do the self serve service stations where the, the entrance the competitors can get fuel, at the track and they know that it's our fuel that they're getting and the above ground fuel tanks um, and the, the Rachel's Bowser's give really good quality um, touch wood so far so good. But um, uh, we, there are weekends where we have, um, you know, Sean can be in, in um, anywhere in Asia for the, because we do the GT world challenge Asia rounds as well as what's happening over here. So it's not, not unusual to have three or four or five race events on the on one weekend. It's part of the deal. Um, and, you know, I was quite quite pleased with the fact that even last week we had three separate um, auto manufacturers doing their um, doing their drive experience days at three separate racetracks on on our fuel. And that was um, Sydney Motorsport Park, Sandown, and Phillip Island. All had Monday to Friday had had the um, drive experience things going on, and that's all fuel that we supply. And again, that's fuel they need at you know midnight or six a.m. or whatever, twenty four hours a day. They're looking for that product. They can keep on track with. So what, it's just what, what um, manufacturers are we talking about there, Mark? Uh, those that, that was AMG. Uh, uh, yeah, AMG with Peter Hackett was at Sandown, and Audi with Libby Rolls was down at Phillip Island, and then BMW Drive Experience had a Sydney Motorsport Park on the same day. So we're not mucking around. This is uh, this is some serious big German brands yeah. with some serious yeah. big uh, they, cars guys, that they're they're showing to their customers. Yeah, and these guys spend. I'm assuming they spend a lot of money to hire the track because it seems to. Be expensive to hire the track so they, they seem to be well invested in uh in their days and a lot of the time the cars aren't road registered so you do and you're not dealing with one or two cars you're dealing with a fleet of 20 30 or 40 cars that need fuel on demand at any given time and i look at the the, the app on a regular basis and these guys are refueling it um at quarter to seven each morning they're on um i'm certainly not uh, not helping them do it so but it has to work and then if there's a problem with the bowser or if there's any issue we can then act act on that but um we've got good equipment we've invested heavily in the um in the equipment to be able to give them that service it's all on account cards fuel cards so they just keep um going to the atm and getting more fuel and uh, we're really really proud of that because again you would never think that monday to friday racetrack business would be um something you'd throw around and i know the oil companies would not give that a, a second thought but for race fuels it's a it's a wonderful opportunity 
Yeah, I guess the the big the big oil companies would would look at the volume and go, oh, it's not worth it. We'll you know that we'll yeah. let the let the specialists deal with that with that sort of thing. Certainly, they won't be there at six o'clock on Saturday morning doing it. Yeah. They would have knocked off compliantly at three thirty to operate their thirty eight hour week on Friday afternoon. But, um, Mark, away from roast fills for a moment, do you harbour any desire any further? desire to jump in the silly seat in a in a targa event or jump in the driver's seat i've been i've done the uh a tour to um eastern creek <laughs> with you in one of your cars and and i certainly wouldn't be jumping in the silly seat with you but um do you harbor <laughs> any of these uh any of these that uh, you won't believe it guys i actually did get in the passenger center quite yeah, famous I mean, for kicking people out of the driver's seat of cars at airports and saying hold drive and then launching it over a uh, medium strip um, or something but do you harbor any 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 you know want to get back at the racetrack and compete oh, to be honest at this stage i don't i know that i will and i look forward to it and i look forward to allowing myself to have the intensity uh, but at the moment i'm so easily distracted by what's happening at that racetrack on a given day and and trying to concentrate and do the sectors and do everything properly i'm not i'm just too absorbed in race rules eventually we'll get back you know it's still still absolutely adore my cars absolutely i mean i'm i'm, I'm as happy at a um show and shine as i am at a um at a racetrack because i just just love being around cars and some of the some of my favorite nights have been out at city Moswell park and they've had um concourse things on the um on that skid pan and you just have a car club mm. just turn up at the skid pan and, and i love that um so still a massive passion for cars not to race anytime soon but i'm sure that's gonna that'll change before too long and we'd love to get back into say group s racing uh, i really enjoyed that a lot enjoyed the camaraderie with the guys as well um but no not too much just just enjoying being again enjoying being at every single racetrack at every single opportunity which is is the dream that i've been able to make a living Hey, let's um, remember 2016 and Rensport. We've got to send the message to Porsche to get another one of them going again, don't we? That was a great weekend. Again, that's the sort of thing we 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 really enjoy those opportunities because, again, your standalone events um, and Sydney does it quite well. And look, I hope that um, I hope that Queensland Raceway heads in the same direction as as a venue for those sorts of things. But that that Rensport was fantastic. You got remember it was a career cup round. Plus Group S, all of all, all the Porsches. Plus, um, I'm sure they had Sprint Challenge, and they had some museum cars as well. I mean, it's just ideal. And uh, again, there's an element of the Bathurst 12 hour which I'm seeing with the um, the auto manufacturers jumping in, jumping in, and bringing some interesting cars out for display and some hot laps. And that to me is really important because I love the spectacle of the show, and it doesn't have to be the Bathurst 1000. There's so many other events that could be great. Um, and Philip Island Classics, a good example. Yeah, it certainly is. Hey Mark, um, before this uh, chat, we was we, you were a little bit concerned that wasn't going to be able to get an hour out of it. It's uh, we've ticked well over the hour now. Um, I always ask a competitor their 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 best memories and yep. and their biggest rival. Now you'll probably come up with an answer for both of them, but uh, your your best memory in motorsport it doesn't have to be race fuels. It can be just something about it you. You can, you know, you look at the, the the cornice in the roof and you sort of go, yeah, that was the best time at the racetrack. What what do you, what do you, what ticks your box in that question? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go quickly with with two. I, I really enjoyed getting on top of the Mustang and Target Tasmania and be able to consistently run that event with with Dad and Gary and I just to get the constant and get get the. Uh, for me, it was gold and then platinum Target trophy. I know he went on to to get a few more as well, but the. Um, that uh, that was a special memory because again it was you know when I look back I was absolutely not a supplier I was competitive competitive in that 
And um, yeah, I do remember uh, a, a trip to Bathurst with Paul Gert from um, Porsche Spare Parts. And that was, we were absolute spectators. It's still in the industry, but still spectators. We weren't necessarily supplying that weekend. So just to go back and look back and go, hey, it was just, there was there was a period of time where I could enjoy a race with having some connection to the supply of it was really nice. Uh, but certainly um, you got to look at, Every every time there's a Bathurst 12 hour and you go, that's a great grid. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of fuel. And we're really proud of how we serviced that. And um uh look, this um flustered um I say the wrong nationality, but uh this flustered European rushed into me and um at the 12 hour we're doing capacity testing. I was quite stressed about what he wanted because he was in the in the white BMW shirt and I thought, okay, he's gonna have a crack at me, but here we go. And Charlie Lamb said, um, you need to know that you have the best fuel supply and best service in the world. And I always knew that. <laughs> but to be told that by Charlie Lamb, I was like, that's the moment. That's that's us doing what we did. And I have since toured the world, had a look. We do it the best. Um, and I have to say, the teams outside of Australia work harder for fuel. They all get their fuel, but they work harder to get it. Racehorse is more than happy to do a lot more work um, to make it easier on a what's always going to be a hard day. Motorsports tough. If we can make it that little bit easier, happy to do that, and happy to happy to welcome these European teams in and give them a level of service they're not familiar with. And then Sean's doing the same thing with GT Asia. These these teams haven't had the service before, and now it's becoming routine and programmed and planned and compliant, and it's great. So well, no, very passionate. Any of those moments where you you vaguely do a good job. Um, we're not in the sport, we're a supplier, but uh, it's nice to help the guys in the sport compete in the sport. Did you, apart from the COVID, did you ever have a time when you thought, how did we ever pull that off after whatever happened? Like a big I'll, drama? I'll give, you, than... I'll give you one. I'll give you one story. I forget the exact year because I've got um, suppression and PTSD. But it was one, <laughs> there was there was one year in particular. It was on the United Fuel. It was the Bathurst One Thousand, and um, for some reason the practice sessions were 15 minutes longer. Uh, there's a the range of issues that, that led to this, this situation. The practice sessions were 15 minutes longer for this year. We didn't, and we just, when I noticed, we didn't even think about it. Just like, yeah, practice. But they were 15 minutes longer over the four days. And it was one of the first years of the DVS uh, doing a 250K race. So right, they, okay. had re, they had to do refueling. That's what we yep. 2015, 2016 or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. And they were using the some of the, uh, the yep. main game Rigs, weren't they? And for wasn't there and, one that wasn't there one there that did the coupling didn't fit for yeah, uh, the, the um, tech bit? Was, was it that year? Yeah, that year, perhaps. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. problems, but the teams weren't used to doing it. And they had well, quite a few teams. A good example. Only I remember that even Triple Eight had in towards the back of the garage some some DVS drums that were sealed that had written Eggleston on them. And it's okay, that's what we're but we got we got late in the afternoon and we ran low of fuel in the compound, and it's because we'd use more fuel for the weekend for those 15 minute sessions. And then the, all the DVS teams had hoarded their fuel. There's all these drums around the place that the TV, DVS teams had and having to go back and reclaim sealed drums to get them back into the compound during the race to make sure we had stock. And I, I remember we got down to zero stock um, in the compound at about lap, I'll say lap 95. We know having done this Bathurst 1000, I'm trying to get to lap 102, everything's sweet. That's, you know, that they've yeah. done, their stop and there's one stop to go. They filled their rig. You're 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 in the you've done the job. But we're at lap ninety and they still want fuel and there's nothing left. And then we gave our last drum out 
And I just remember looking at Sean's face and he looked at my face and any any Bathurst one thing, any any Bathurst events is grueling, but this was particularly tough. And we were exhausted. I was like, well, how do what, what do we do here? And um, and then that team returned um, not that long after, and I, I've gone absolutely white, <laughs> and I've gone down to get their empty drum because we are out of fuel, and the team returns a full drum because they have enough fuel, which we thought they had, but um, the problem is that. Uh, they offered us the apprentices to get the fuel and they just routinely told every half an hour to get it on fuel. So uh, we don't always stop them. And there was a point where they just took it all. And then uh, we had none left. We had, there was enough there, but it was certainly nice to get a drum of fuel back when you were talking about an event of, that needs 40,000 litres to have 200 litres 200 litres left was nice. But then again, at the end of the weekend, we always get three to four, 5,000 litres back off the teams because there's just fuel that doesn't get used. But it's never comfortable when the fuel compounds out of fuel. During the Bathurst 1000. Yeah, that would have been a, a, an awkward <laughs> moment. That one wouldn't. It? And it was, um, it was just one of those years. And what and what we've what we've learned to 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 read the data. And it's fascinating. But green flag running has a huge impact on the 12 hour and on Bathurst. And more recently, we've had, you've liked you've liked the fact that James Taylor tries to get more green flag running yeah, in the 12 green, hours, yeah. do you? <laughs> no, I, I remember the particular year there hadn't been a safety car for basically the first three quarters of the race. And you're like, this is just, and these numbers are out of control. And and um, you know, all these things that work together. And then having to go and yeah, you know, and the worst thing I could do is as a supplier is getting and have to talk to a Mark Dutton or a um or or a, any of the guys and say, hey, can I get that drum back? Um I know I know you're busy, but can I have this? And, and I, I go back in their tie tin and grab their drum out that's not theirs, but they're still it's there. Can I get this? And, as uh, Jamie's radio doesn't work with two laps to go on the fuel lights was, on. Was, yeah, that was the year though, wasn't that wasn't that year. But, uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, the last thing we need to be doing is is rating the teams for more fuel. But um, yeah, we've, we've since learned to watch out for that. And we now have a process where the DBS teams must return their fuel because they don't always do that. So we we have some policies in there now. But uh, the first time it happens to you, and yeah, it's nice to run low because you've got the calculation right, but you don't want to run out. But uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mark, the uh, the other question, you, your nemesis or the, the the one thing. Now, the nemesis doesn't have to be a person. It could be the open road. It could be a set of tyres or something. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm up against two things. For, for the grassroots races, my nemesis, I'm up against the service station Bowser down the road, not at the racetrack. And you are allowed to use it and you can go and get that. But what you've got is a group of very dedicated people with very, very good fuel. And the, the same supplier, the same equipment goes to the Bathurst 1000 goes to Vic State at Sandown. Um, if you want quality fuel and someone who will back themselves to supply that quality fuel, come and talk to us. Um, the service station, when we have them, we know how it works. The service station is not going to be receptive to your concerns over bad fuel quality and what went wrong and why, why it isn't quite right. What we do for motorsport is, is, you know, is routine, is practice, is quality, is, is a handling process that gives you good product. Um, and then casually and 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 comically, we we invite any yeah, any fuel supplier that wants to, wants to come and play, come at us. We're we're willing and able to to do battle. Um, we work really really hard to do what we do. Um, and if you want to take some of the market share away from Elf and Race Fuels, have a crack at it, but but be ready because um, we very much love what we do. We're passionate about it. We're committed to it. And sometimes there's more emotion than there is uh, business sense. So. Yeah, come at us. But uh, we enjoy what we do. But certainly, uh, if you're a grassroots racer and you get the opportunity to use a race fuels product, be it a uh, 
a state series event or there's the Bowsers there on your track day on a Thursday, test and tune, give it give it a thought because, again, we do it so that you can do more motorsport. Um, it is interesting, Mark, because um, they won't bat an eye at doing $20,000 worth of machining on $40,000 worth of heads and blocks and then spend $90,000 up on an engine and, and risk it with some sort of uh, toluene got out of uh, the Springvale Road Um I won't name a brand, but, a, you know, a service station well, on the a, side of the road. Just, just be aware that those service stations don't have motorsport in mind, don't have quality and consistency in mind. So it's, that's not their process. Um, the tanks that they hold the fuel are designed to supply the family Commodore or Ford or whatever it happens to be. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to race with that product. Um, and again, I'm, I'm very passionate about saying, look, just, just consider where it's coming from. Um, if you're in, a, in an engine that's low compression, doesn't matter. doesn't matter, but... If you're at the upper echelon and you want performance, even with 98 Ron Fuel, talk to us about the way we do it and we can explain to you how we get that race fuel so that any of those fuels to the racetrack far different to what the rest of the industry does. Um, but always up for chat. So, uh, and the, you'll see the tents and the flags and you'll, you'll spot us. We're not we're not invisible. So come and talk to the racers <laughs> guys about, hey, what is it you do? How do you do it? And yeah, very, very proud that these same techniques for the Bathurst 1000, going to a big state series round at Phillip Island. Very cool. Gary O'Brien, uh, pretty cool having Mark Tierney on, was it? Like this, some, it has, some yeah. avenues it's... in fuel and different things that we we never even think of, isn't there? And it's great catching up at um, other venues as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. The tap on Mitchell Street in Darwin or <laughs> uh, at the, the, the local hotel near Sydney Motorsport Park or whatever. There is always a menacing Mark Tierney on the side of the road when the um, when the big rigs roll into town. He's the one pulling oh, his hand up there, going, "Take your air right. horn, take your air and horn." I had, um, of all people, I had uh, one of my key contacts at um, at Pyops actually saw that saw that footage of me hanging over the fence, um, <laughs> and yeah, that was good good fun. The truck, but look again. I know how much how much effort the guys go into you know polishing the trucks of the truck parade. Get excited for it, and uh, it sounds as ridiculous. And hey, look, there's a there's a famous YouTuber out of England. There's a train spotter who makes a lot of money um, train spotting trains. Get out there and have a look at the trucks. They're great, and get the mm. get the uh, get the drivers to the horn. And if you're at Bathurst at night for the Mitchell Street party, make a sign. It'd be Big Brother style. Make a sign. And, uh, oh, and didn't you make a sign up at Darwin for something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for um, for Dodge in the uh, the Tickford truck. And um, <laughs> I got I got stitched up because I thought it was a great idea. And I and I um, yeah, again, it probably wasn't. The, it was edit this bit out. It probably wasn't the greatest of ideas, but hey, we made the big neon green sign. But then someone tapped um, Barney on the on the on the shoulder, who had the cameraman, to actually get in there and film me doing it. And it was a major component of the of the telecast. And uh, yeah, I was just excited. Yeah, I remember when you wrote the sign. We were sitting That's at right. the table having a beer <laughs> at the time. And I hear, I, go, I hope someone sees this, and it, it definitely got the coverage. And I uh, had yeah. people all over the country going, "Hey, did you enjoy enjoy Darwin?" I'm like, "Oh, it was okay. I, I think you really enjoyed Darwin, Mark." <laughs> 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 on that note, Mark Titty, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, supported by Race Fuel, because there's always a couple of ads lobbed in the middle there. And we thank you very much, because I did tap you on the shoulder and said, hey, get off that other podcast and come and join us. And uh, within a week, we had the... Uh, we had the yeah. voiceover done and it was like Race Fuels is on board. We're a quality podcast now, Gaz. 
Yeah. <laughs> we content, needed it. The content's fantastic because, again, um, yeah, if you're in motorsport, you're driving long distances. No one lives next to all the racetracks. So you, at some point you're going to travel. So well, I highly recommend anyone tuning into these just to take advantage of the fact that we're in the cars a lot nowadays. Dial in. Great podcast. Mark Tinney, thank you very much for your time. And um, we will see you at a racetrack very, very soon. Of course, we'll have uh, many, many races around. And as Gaz said, there was four race meetings in four states and uh, Race Fuels was uh, pointing the, the Bowser at cars at all of them. Thanks, guys. Fun, fun bloke to have on, Gaz, and uh, can't wait to be at the track or even at the after hours venue at the track uh, in the near future with Mark Tierney. And very passionate about it. That's what I love. I really loves his job, loves being where he's at. Uh, I could, I, it's hard to fathom someone who has, has such a, a great attitude towards his job. Yeah, and and the the staff that he has with him follow in his footsteps. Quite literally, they just they just want to be at the racetrack. They want to deliver a great a great service and a great product. And you can see why they do it because the boss is very much into doing a terrific yeah. job. And uh, well, like like race fields, there's been plenty of racing going on. Both you and I were at the racetrack uh, servicing grassroots motorsports in the commentary booth on the weekend. Yourself at Sydney Motorsport Park, myself down at. Philip Island work, working with uh, a great commentary team and being broadcast over Blendline TV. Um, some challenging weather thrown down on Sunday morning, and I've got to say, the uh, the crew trackside, um, you know, when it gets bad at Philip Island, boy, it is it's horrendous. You know, like you know, um, Barry Sheen wasn't mucking around when he said at the gateway to hypothermia down there because uh, <laughs> it was it was horrible. Yeah. Um, the the trackside people, the flaggies, the recovery crews were kept busy, and I think the fact that they were kept busy waving yellow flags and red flags and all those sorts of things was what kept them warm. Mm. And uh, but some fantastic racing, some standouts across the the weekend. Um, Cadell Ambrose again, he won the three. Um, XL races at Winton. He won two again on the weekend at Phillip Island. This guy's a 15, 16 year old um, racer. And uh, just remember where you've heard the name first at the, at the, the grassroots racing podcast, because that will be a name to keep an eye out for. Um, no, no, no relation to Marcus Ambrose, but relation to Rowan Ambrose, who was a, a, a legendary state racer in um improved production in road trees yeah yeah quite road some time ago mainly. but um yep. um some great racing um numbers were good sports sedan numbers were a little bit down but um the groove train sports sedans are, are working on that um brett dickey bought his car out he's off to pike's peak um car was 2.7 seconds faster than anything else on pole um, obviously he asked a lot of it to get that time. And then there was a, a, an issue with the, the car and it was withdrawn and didn't make it to the track on Sunday. Um, but uh, yeah, some, some great he racing. He actually uh, flew out earlier this week. Uh, he, he, I think he flies He's out over there for five weeks this morning. I think he flew out this morning because he was certainly at the track packing up the sports uh, Daz, yesterday. Daz, this comes out Friday. He flew out Tuesday. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? How far in are we? <laughs> yeah, so Brett will be in the States by now running it at Pikes Peak. But um yeah, look, that's round round um three of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships presented by Triple Eight. Home loans. Actually, in the, in the um, bag. I wanted to touch 
I want to touch on a couple other things there. A lot of single mate races at Victoria on the weekend. There was the Porsches, yeah. HQs, the 944s, BMWs. the 1800 Lasagna Porsche 944s, Formula V, Formula Ford, BMW E30s. Um, and I tell you what, um, big fan of the Gazoo Racing Toyota Scholarship Series for the T86s. Some amazing racing. There was certainly some willingness in the mid pack. But uh, right throughout that field, the director uh, of the live stream was spoiled for choice. The screens were just filled with action and and not not biff and barge. Not you know, there was a bit of that, but nowhere near as much as what there could have been. But just some great racing, really really cool stuff. Well, actually, I was uh, lucky enough to see the opening round of that uh, three round series. What it is, it's a the scholarship, as it says, if you finish in the top twenty or whatever. You go straight through to as an invitee to the first round of the Gazoo Racing Australia 86 series, which kicks off at Townsville in July. Interesting, I guess, the ethos or thinking behind it, Gaz, is that um, why did supercars have to come up with uh, Super 2 or the development series? And why did they have to come up with Super 3? And why have they had to come up with heritage touring cars? Is because you've got to have a used car yard and you've got to get rid of these things. Um, as yeah. they come along, well, there's, there's a new, a new model. Yeah, there's a new, new GRT86 coming along. So, um, yeah. and there's a want for it. There's a there yeah. is there is a you know demand for for those cars. They're cool race cars. They're setting good lap times. They were ace in the dry. In fact, they were they were fantastic in the wet too. And and I think there's a couple of people behind the scenes there. And I'll I'll mention Stephen Johnson. He's certainly working very hard with the the mindset of the drivers in there. And let's face it, there's mostly young people that are, that are looking, they're setting their sights, not on a career in Toyota 86, but I'm going to say, guys, guys like you and I could get a Toyota 86 and go and do that series with with no aspiration somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) But with no aspiration to go anywhere else, but then the rest of the year, you could cross enter it in improved production. And go, yeah, you know, go exactly. racing in that oh, production, production. Yeah, cars. that's right. It's, uh, it's well, it's it's probably a little bit outside production cars. A Toyota eighty six in production cars is a slightly different spec. So yeah, correct. Improved production, you'd be okay. But I, sure. I, I, you know, I look at that. You sort of sometimes you go, not another one make series, but um, really impressed with the on track of of what they did at Phillip Island on the weekend. That's for well. Sure. And I must tip a hat to Matt Hillier, who won all three races. Actually, a week before that, he was leading the National Formula Ford Series going into Tasmania. He didn't come out as the leader. He's actually second now. But uh, being picked up by WAU as a um, as a cadet, I guess. As a yeah, well, he was, and he was also the it. Victorian Formula Ford champion last year. And um, mm-hmm. you know, he had Lockie Bloxham with him as well, who's doing um, doing Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge as well. There was a number of names. Um, Holly Eastbury had a tough old weekend. She got she did get knocked around a bit, but there's a number of uh, ladies in in the field there as well. Madison's in there, and well, you know they they're doing well. They're featuring. It in sounds the like, it sounds like Marcus Odell didn't have a real good round either. I think he no. did fifth or sixth or something. He won all three races at the opening round. Yeah, and has has lost a has lost a bit of momentum in the points gain there as well. It was interesting. They did an interview with him, and uh, he'd raced in uh, Conica Series at Phillip Island, so that's twenty years ago. And uh, and done F three as well. Yeah, and done and done F three as well down yep. there. So he was no stranger to the island, albeit he'd been away from the sport for ten years. But Gaz, you had um, State Series at Sydney Motorsport Park as well. I I did, and then certainly was a, gr- a good meeting. Uh, 
production sports cars actually had a quite a few numbers compared to what they had at the opening round, and uh, they're all uh, seen this uh, rather awesome looking Bentley Continental GT just drive away from them. Uh, with uh, George Medici at the wheel. They, they got this car in about 18 months ago, came out of um, uh, Asia, where it was originally a factory car run by Absolute. And then I think they brought it off a Taiwanese team, brought it out here, it uh, had a cosmetic uh, spruce up, in other words, a complete overhaul, because uh, all the various wraps and whatever it had on it, it came out in beautiful uh, British racing green. Uh, and Wall Racing did all the mechanicals on it to get it all ready. And uh, George was just dominant. He just drove away. He did a 29 in uh, qualifying, which is nice. pretty quick for a, a trophy class car. And uh, so, yeah, he won the um, both the 30-minute production car races. Uh, we had a good field of production touring cars uh, where the Bathurst winner, Simon Hodges, won all three races. Improved production. Well, here's the story for you. Uh, Kurt McCready won the under two litre races pretty easily. He's the Nationals title holder in under two litre at the moment. But Adam Poole brought his Monaro up for the weekend. Zach yeah, Hudson we were was at the last that. meeting. We were, we were watching that from Phillip Island, watching very closely on timing. <laughs> broke broke the lap record twice. Yeah. Got down to a 37 0 4. Pretty so ominous. 36 isn't it, for a few weeks' time. It is. It's only three weeks away when the Trophy Series comes to Sydney, and you'll be up for that. Certainly, for nationals as part of that program, and uh, actually the Toyotas will be back on that program as well as uh, quite a few other categories. So, looking forward to that one. That's a week after the long weekend. Uh, other categories, uh, HQs. Uh, Chris Mole won all three races. He won a fairly easy, actually, but. Mind you, there was a fight on for second that involved about seven cars in all three races. And I think Jason Moley's brother ended up second, although he didn't actually finish second in any of the races. So consistency helps at times. Interesting uh, with HQs, the- Gaz. We had HQs at the island as well, and the numbers were down to about 13. You know, Rod Rogers was was quick and won races, and Gav Ross returning was quick, and Steve Banks was quick and was on the front row of the grid. And that, But interestingly enough that when... When the New South Wales and Victorian State Championships run, everyone's fields come down a bit because they tend to travel to where the HQs are, are running. Because we've yeah. had, had we had the Osborne team down here in uh, in February running, and they had um, three cars down with that. <laughs> and they're you know they're the New South Wales sort of the big guns in the yeah. Well, the they HQs. didn't run up here either, so okay. uh, you can't really count that because Brett, Brett Os- Osborne had a a leg injury in an obviously racing car at Newcastle yeah. in a crash up there. And John Baxter didn't run because <laughs> believe it or not, he's got to go to a wedding on the same day as the last round. And he thought if I'm leading this series coming into that round, <laughs> I'm not going to be very happy. So he's opted not to run. So he won't be leading the series so he can come back and do some of the other races. It's pretty uh, cocky, probably, isn't it? I don't want to yeah. run because I'm going to be leading the series. Well, he might not be, but who knows? Chris <laughs> well, I like that attitude. <laughs> he certainly had uh, had some the wood on everyone on the weekend in his car. Uh, we had some uh, other good racing too. Formula Fords were down, really down. I only had two Duratec cars there. And actually, second place went to Will Lowering in the historic uh, Van Diemen out of the late 80s. So he, he broke the actual historic Group F lap record in his uh, Second race, I believe, and we were happy. Uh, we were happy to have weekend. about thirty of them down at the island. So um... yeah, and most and some of those guys were actually uh, 
running national series and got beaten by a local who was yeah. not in the national series. Yeah, yeah, Bailey yeah. Collins, who's the son of Gary Collins, yeah, who Gary. we see in um in, in touring, cars. touring cars. Yep. yep. So that was a good effort there. Uh uh also uh, Queensland Raceway had a Queensland Raceway Drivers Championship meeting on. Uh, they've got the High Tech Oils uh, Super Series next weekend. Two days of thunder running with that. And South Australia actually had uh, uh, state championships over there. And uh, the Victorian two-litre sports events championship went over there and raced at that one. As did the uh, Victorian Production Sports Championship as well. It did, yes. And um, also the uh, the Nissan Pulsar Series out of Victoria ran uh, Matt Butters won one race and uh, in within the race, and uh, New South Welshman Dan Smith won the other three. So uh, they're keen to go into state and race their pulses, which is good to see. Plenty of racing and... coming up too, Gaz. Um, you're just touching on Tail and Ben. Super Trofeo will be over there on the long weekend, uh, weekend of the 11th coming in. Super Trofeo Asia. And uh, will be streamed via Blendline TV, but it'd be certainly fantastic to get trackside to see those cars. They were absolutely immense at Sepang for their uh, their first round. It was an uh, amazing rainstorm that started the uh, the first event. But the Australian Prototype Series, you you know that well, Gaz. We know and yep. love the prototypes and fantastic cars, um, growing from strength from strength to strength. There's also um, there's also on there the BMW E30s from Victoria heading over. There's uh, going to be South Australian tin tops, um, and a and a really big lineup uh, of support categories there as well. And um, there's racing at Winton for the Speed Series in the same weekend. Indeed, and uh, your beloved sports sedan national series or the Precision Sports Sedan National Series is opening round is on, and you won't be there for it, Des. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether the old blood with the uh, the, the black blood with the yellow trace through it for the Lamborghinis or the or the sports events is going to yeah, yeah makes the hard beat, doesn't it? I think there'll be a few text messages flying backwards and forth I reckon there will on be. that weekend. I can watch your live stream and you can watch ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> on yeah. Stan Sport, you, you can <laughs> so you can, get, you can get mine for free. You have to pay um, for the other yeah. one, don't you? No, then you get the seven day trial and just uh, right. watch it. Oh, and yeah, then yeah, take up the option. There's always a workaround, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> there is. I guess I reckon um, that's, also I reckon that's that, it for episode 25. Yeah, we've got something else. We should just, uh, yeah, just uh, touch quickly on Queensland Hill Climb Championship was on on the weekend. That was won by Dean Amos. That makes about a gazillion of those that he's won. He's old sparring partner, D Ty, was second. So um, I haven't got into the full results of that, but I'll look forward to. Uh, catching up on what happened there. I know they were going tit for tat during the uh, the various runoffs, so uh, must have been a fairly interesting one. Just again at Winton, we've got TCR Australia, Trans Am, we've got V8 Touring Cars, we've got TCM running there as well as um, um, S5000, not sure if they're there or not. Anyway, but it's a big meeting coming up at Winton Motor Raceway. That's on the Long weekend starts on June 9 with practice and racing on 10 and 11. Jeez, the breeze is going to be cool coming off Mount Buller and the Victorian Alps at uh, at Winton. Oh, and the wind coming off the Antarctic or blowing into the bend as well. <laughs> Gaz, I reckon that's it for episode number 25. We're uh, just about to clock up our 12 months. And uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for the uh, the renewal on the contract and we'll, uh, we'll see how we go. The motorsport's always a contract to talk about. Yep, yep, it certainly is. And 
hopefully it'll, uh, uh, Napa will want to stick around and keep us on board, or or maybe not. Even if the if it goes ahead without us, we won't lose too much sleep over it. We just want to keep hearing grassroots uh, podcasts, don't we? Yeah, we do, we do. We want to keep the uh, grassroots of motorsport in the forefront of everyone's mind. Gaz, thank you very much. It's good night from Daz. And good night from Gaz. You've just listened to another Network R production. 